welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and street him. Today's date is March 3rd, 2023, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is Too Much Blood from My Nose. Will TXA help? And our guest skeptic is Dr. Dominique Trudel. She is a PGY3 CCFP EM resident in Ottawa, Ontario. Her interests are in serving the French minority communities delivering care at the Montfort Hospital in Ottawa. Welcome to the SGM, Dominique. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I wanted to invite you because I saw this post on Ottawa EM Twitter feed. And by the way, they do some great knowledge translation from Ottawa. How did you get involved in looking at TXA for epistaxis? Yeah, so... Actually, epistaxis is something you see so commonly in the ED. And funny enough, it's always the presentation with such a great variability in treatment approaches. As a learner, I've always found it difficult on shift because every staff has a different approach from nose clips to tongue depressor, jerry rigging for nose clips to high dose lido, otrovin, epi as pledgets. But the most contentious of all was always TXA versus no TXA. And I wanted to get to the bottom of it. So when you have a clinical scenario and you're seeing a, a variety of practices, you're wondering, what's the evidence say? So that's a great motivator for doing that. So why don't you give us a case that we can base this podcast on? Yeah, so the case is Jim. He's a 50-year-old male, comes in with interior epistaxis. He reported it started last night in his bedroom when he was using a space heater. He denies nose picking, though, and he tried applying pressure, but it didn't work. The vitals are stable, and he's not on any anticoagulants. Well, we have covered the topic of epistaxis several times now on the SGEM. The first episode was SGEM number 53, Sunday, Bloody Sunday. And this trial looked at 216 adult patients with anterior epistaxis and randomized them to topical TXA, and what they got was 500 milligrams in 5 ml, and compared it to anterior nasal packing. The results were impressive for stopping bleeding in under 10 minutes, discharge in under two hours, re-bleeding in less than 24 hours, and patient satisfaction. I'll put a table in the show notes of all those results, but I wondered at the time, are these results just too good to be true? Yeah, so TXA, it's a synthetic derivative of lysine that inhibits fibrinolysis, thus stabilizing clots that are formed has been tried in several medical conditions, and we have reviewed some of these on the SGEM podcast. Yeah, we've reviewed a number of them. Let's, let's run through some of those. Yeah, so the first being trauma from the CRASH-2 trial. Yeah, this was a big trial back in the day, and it showed a 1.5% absolute mortality benefit with TXA in trauma patients, and that was SGEM number 80. And there's isolated TBI, which was the CRASH-3 trial. Yeah, so it went from CRASH-2 to CRASH-3, and CRASH-3, instead of just general polytrauma or something like that, it was isolated traumatic brain injuries. But in that trial, they found no statistical difference in mortality, and that was SGM-270. And postpartum hemorrhage, the woman trial? Yeah, and unfortunately, it showed no statistical difference in its primary outcome, and that was SGEM-214. And then there was the gastrointestinal bleeding HALTED trial? Yeah, the HALTED. I think they wanted to have this uh, name HALTED as in they were going to 
halt bleeding using TXA, but unfortunately they showed no statistical difference in the primary outcome. Oh, I'm sensing a trend here. And so maybe it was halt it and the it was giving TXA to gastrointestinal bleeding. And that was SGM number 301. Yeah, I don't think we're going in the right direction here. And there's intracranial hemorrhage, the TIC2N ultra trial. Yeah, the TITCH2 trial and the ultra trial were two trials looking at just, okay, we're not talking about traumatic intracranial hemorrhage. We're talking about atraumatic intracranial hemorrhage. And the TITCH2 trial and the ultra trial showed no superiority for good neurologic outcome. And that was SGM236 and SGM number 322. So let's go back to that first SGM episode that was about a decade ago on TXA for epistaxis, showing favorable results with TXA. During that episode, we discussed 11 questions concerning epistaxis, and I think it's still a pretty good overview on the management of epistaxis. In that episode, it included the Dundee protocol for adults with epistaxis, and that was from 2012. We'll put that protocol in the show notes for people to review. Yeah, a second RCT from that same group looked at TXA for adults with anterior epistaxis who were also taking antiplatelet medications. This too showed impressive results, claiming superiority of TXA. And that's also found in the SGEM 210 podcast. So that same group who did that trial on TXA said, okay, well, it seems to work really well in this group or this population. What about those patients taking antiplatelet medications? And it seemed to replicate their previous results. But then came the NOPAC trial. And it curved some of the enthusiasm people were having for TXA and epistaxis. Now, it was the largest double-blind randomized control trial. They had almost 500 patients. And they found no reduction in the need for anterior packing with the use of intranasal TXA. However... This trial included patients who had already failed 10 minutes of pressure, 10 minutes of packing with a topical vasoconstrictor. They used a lower dose of TXA in that study. Two-thirds of the patients were taking anticoagulants, and the primary outcome was different than those two previous RCTs claiming efficacy. Yeah, it seems like these are conflicting results and has led to uncertainty regarding the use of TXA in patients with epistaxis. And so Hosseini and Al-Hashimi and Al sought to provide some clarity with their trial, looking at TXA in uncomplicated anterior epistaxis. All right, Dominique, what's the clinical question? Should we use TXA for uncomplicated anterior epistaxis? And I am so happy you get to read this reference. Yeah, so Hosseini, Al-Hashimi and Al intranasal topical application of tranexamic acid and atraumatic anterior epistaxis, a double-blind randomized control trial in the Annals of Emergency Medicine 2022. Yeah, so one of my superpowers is that I mispronounce names regularly, but also I can quote any 80s movies, and just because I can't sing doesn't mean I won't sing. But let's go through the PCOT. What was the population? All right, so the population was 18-year-olds and older. So stable patients with atraumatic anterior epistaxis without bleeding disorders or anticoagulation. Yeah, and so they excluded people who were having posterior bleeds. If the patient was hemodynamically unstable, 
Of course, if you're allergic to TXA, they didn't want you in the trial. Those who had nasopharyngeal, nasal cavities, or perinasal malignancies, uh, they excluded pregnant patients once again. You know, how are we supposed to have great data on pregnant patients if we keep excluding women from these trials? The experience of out-of-hospital nasal packing, if it was already packed before they got there. Uh, this one, epistaxis caused by trauma. Now, we see that a lot because people often come to the emergency department who were, their history is, I was just standing on the corner minding my own business, and these guys just jumped me. So they, they excluded people with traumatic epistaxis. If you had a known, known bleeding disorder, and of course, if you were using an anticoagulation drug or clopidogrel, and then patients who were prisoners. All right, what was the intervention? So the intervention was cotton pledgets soaked in TXA 500 milligrams, phenylephrine of 0.05 grams, and lidocaine 10% times five sprays. And packing was removed after 15 minutes. And what did they compare it to? Yeah, so they compared it to cotton pledgets without TXA, but still soaked in phenylephrine, 0.05 grams, and lidocaine, 10% times five sprays. All right, let's run through their outcomes. What was their primary outcome? So the primary outcomes was the need for interior nasal packing. And they had a number of secondary outcomes. What were they? ED lengths more than two hours, needing electrical cauterization, rebleeding within 24 hours, rebleeding within one to seven days. All right, and the T from the PCOT, the trial, what was the trial design in this? It was a single center, double-blinded RCT, and a specialized ENT-ED in IRN. So the author's conclusions were, quote, internasal topical application of tranexamic acid is associated with a lower rate of need for anterior nasal packing and shortened stay in the emergency department. It may be considered a part of the treatment for atraumatic anterior epistaxis, end of quote. All right, let's run through the 12 quality checklists for randomized clinical trials. First question, Dominique, the study population included or focused on those in the emergency department? Yes, in an ENT emergency department. Yeah, so these weren't really just all comers to a general emergency department. These were patients seen at an ENT emergency department. Were the patients adequately randomized? Yes, using permutated block randomization with a fixed block of eight. Did they conceal the randomization process? Yes. Did they do an intention to treat analysis? Yes. The study patients, were they recruited consecutively? Yep. How about at baseline, were both groups similar? Yes. And all participants, were they unaware of group allocation? Yes. Did they treat everybody equally except for the intervention? Again, yes. Did they have complete follow-up? Yes. Do you think they considered all patient important outcomes? Yes. And was the treatment effect large enough and precise enough to be clinically significant? Yes. And did you find any financial conflicts of interest with this paper? No. All right, let's run through the results. They screened 315 patients and enrolled 240 patients. The patients were divided into two groups in a one-to-one -one ratio. The mean age of participants was 52 years, just over half were male, 
and 30% were on aspirin. What was the key result? The TXA was superior to usual care for adult patients presenting with anterior epistaxis. And so when we say superior, we're talking about the primary outcome. And that primary outcome was the need for anterior packing. What did they find? So TXA group was 50% versus no TXA group. That was 64.2%, with the numbers needed to treat of 7. And you can also calculate that as an odds ratio of 0.56. But the confidence interval, that 95% confidence interval, was rather wide around that point estimate. How about secondary outcomes? No statistical differences between the two groups in terms of the need for electrical cauterization and the rate of rebleeding within one to seven days. And then TXA was also associated with a lower rate of stay in the emergency department for more than two hours and rebleeding in 24 hours compared with the rates in the control group. But Dominique, let's talk nerdy. Are you ready to talk nerdy with me? Let's talk nerdy. I love talking nerdy. I mean, I can't understand why everybody doesn't like talking nerdy. But okay, we've got five points. First point is about selection bias. These were patients that were from an ENT emergency department of a referral academic teaching otolaryngology center. It is unclear if these patients represent the same patients who present to a community emergency department. You could argue that patients with more severe nosebleeds would present to this subspecialized emergency department. If TXA works in these cases, then it should work in milder cases or... If the disease severity is lower, then the impact of TXA might be less and not statistically different from usual care. There's also the external validity. The second point is related to the first nerdy point. This was not only a specialist ENT-ED, but it was also a single-center study in Iran. The patient population may not external validity to the patients we see in our own EDs. Yeah, and I can keep going on this point with point number three. This is about standard care. Standard care in Iran, I don't know what it is, but it might be different than our standard of care. Some places like to apply ice packs, different external devices to stop bleeding, and a variety of intranasal medications. Just like you said at the start of this podcast, there's a wide variety of approaches to patients with epistaxis especially electrical cautery. After the treatment in both groups, bipolar cauterization was used when there was a visible bleeding site in the interior part of the nasal cavity. Many patients required electric cautery in this trial. It was about two-thirds of patients in both groups. Yeah, this really jumped out at me. That result, two-thirds, is much higher than my practice experience. It further suggests that these are selected patients with more severe disease and or Iran has a different standard of practice. In addition, electric cautery is not available where I've worked in multiple sites in Ontario, Canada. And perhaps those in the UK, the US, Europe, Australia, New Zealand and elsewhere could respond about their use of electric cautery. Mm -hmm. And electric cautery could have some potential harms. These direct harms or any other harms and adverse events were not mentioned in the manuscript. It's an unfortunate trend for studies either to underreport or not report harms at all. How can clinicians and patients make an informed decision with only knowing the potential benefits and not knowing the potential harms? 
Yeah, it really is a good question. How can you know what best advice to give if you only know one side of the equation? All right, the fifth and final point. This is about other situations. In this trial, it was silent on other clinical situations of epistaxis, which are routinely encountered in the emergency department. This includes traumatic bleeds, like I mentioned earlier. Somebody who is just minding his own business and then gets beat up and comes in with epistaxis. Patients on anticoagulants. There are so many people now that we have on anticoagulants in our society. Or patients who present to the emergency department with refractory bleeding. But those are the five nerdy points. It's time to comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGEM's conclusions. We agree with the author's conclusions, but would have made a friendly amendment to qualify that it was in a select population at a subspecialized ENTED in Iran. Yeah, I think that's important just to make sure that you, you capture that, how select these patients were in their conclusions so we don't overinterpret their conclusions and think that it would apply to a lot of patients. How about an SGM bottom line? Bottom line? It is reasonable to add TXA to your cotton pledgets for adults with uncomplicated anterior epistaxis. Yeah, I don't know if this is going to help you much on shift when you have different physicians who uh, like to use TXA and other ones who don't like to use TXA because it's reasonable. It gets down to the it may or may not be used. Um, how about the case resolution of Jim, the 50-year-old man who came in? So Jim blew out his nose. You applied cotton pledgets soaked with vasoconstriction solution and TXA and epistaxis resolved without the need for interior packing. You provide him with instructions to avoid nose picking. You improve patient satisfaction and ED flow. Oh, I see you threw in there nose picking. So you didn't think that it was necessarily due to that little space heater in his room. Maybe the number one cause of epistaxis is digital trauma. And the 10 most common causes are your fingers. But anyways, how are you going to take this and clinically apply it? So for me, if TXA is rapidly available, I'll consider adding it to patients with atraumatic anterior epistaxis in my cotton pledgets. With a number needed to treat of seven to lower the need for interior packing, it's significant for the patient. TXA is cheap. A single topical application is very unlikely to cause any harm. Yeah, I, we've talked about TXA a number of times on the SGEM, and I think it has to start with, does it work? You know, if it works, okay, then you can start considering how expensive is it and, uh, you know, of course, what are the harms. But if you haven't demonstrated that it actually works, then it doesn't matter how much it costs. And certainly any harms would be unreasonable if the efficacy wasn't demonstrated. What are you going to tell the patient at the bedside? I'm going to tell him, blow out your nose to remove some of the blood. Then we'll put cotton pack up your nose. It'll have two medications while the cotton. One medication stops bleeding by pinching off those blood vessels. The other medication stops bleeding by helping your body form a clot or a scab. We'll leave it in for 15 minutes, and it must be 15 minutes to see if it'll work. And after those 15 minutes, we'll pull it out. If you're not bleeding, you can go on your way with some advice. If it's still bleeding, we need to pack it and send you home to see you back tomorrow. All right, it's time to announce the Keener Contest winner. Last week's winner was Kevin Burns, 
a physician assistant or PA from New Haven, Connecticut. He knew that PAs can practice in Manitoba, Ontario, New Brunswick, Alberta, and Nova Scotia. Dominique, what question did you bring for this episode? The vast majority of nosebleeds occur in the front anterior part of the nose from the nasal septum. What is the area which is richly endowed with blood vessels called? Oh, so if you know this anatomical area in the anterior part of the nose on the nasal septum, if you know the name of that area, then send an email to the sgem at gmail.com with Keener in the subject line. The first correct answer will receive a cool skeptical prize. Well, Dominique, thank you for coming on the SGEM and updating another show on TXA for Epistaxis. Merci. This has been such a great fun. Ooh, I love hearing French. Okay, so that means I'm going to get you to read the SGEM tagline, but if you could do it in French. Yeah, no problem. N'oubliez pas d'être sceptique sur tout ce que vous apprenez, même si vous l'avez entendu dans le guide des sceptiques sur la médecine d'urgence. Talk to everyone next week. Come